0: All right, everybody, it's time to meet our talent for this evening. Get ready to make some noise. First, most of his hair on his head has moved to his face, but he's still the funniest guy in this place, Justin party. People, she, she is a vision of kindness and grace, and let's be real, she's probably the tallest lady in the place, Stephanie King! And finally, he is our leader. He's our pastor. He sets the pace. And have you guys noticed the nice beard going on his face? Pastor Matt Brown. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church, where every week you're getting real answers to tough questions from the Bible. I'm your friend, Justin Party, the lovable tour guide on this evening. I'm sitting here with my pals. Stephanie Keene. That's right. And Pastor Matt Brown. The PMB. And we have about 300 of our closest friends that have joined us tonight because it is episode 50.
1: Oh, so cool.
0: We just had a live band, by the way. That was kind of.
1: The best ever. Can they just come every week? We <laughs> yeah, do? would you
0: guys, seriously. You probably have jobs, but if you, yes. if you don't, if you don't, we've got a fantastic volunteer opportunity for you on Tuesday mornings. <laughs> hey, where is Kelly? Kelly, Kelly's producer Kelly.
1: Hey, so producer
2: Kelly. We, we love you. Everyone,
1: say hi to producer Kelly. <laughs> this is the furthest he's ever been away from us during an episode, so I think we're all feeling a little scared right now. But we're gonna That's be okay. Right.
0: Hey, so before we jump into the show, we're, we're going to be tackling some tough questions from the Bible. We're going to be diving deep into your sermon. We're going to be debriefing what you shared this last weekend, and we got a couple off-topic questions. Before we do that, we've got some super exciting news to share with all of you guys. This is super exciting. So today is episode 50. Starting next week with episode 51, the debrief is going to video. Video. So we're super excited about that. We've been hard at work. For the last couple of weeks, our tech team has been building out a sweet studio so that we can record. The audio is going to stay and get even better, but we're going to be bringing the show to video every single week. I think we're going to be on Facebook Live. We've got a YouTube channel coming. It's going to be awesome, so we could not be more thrilled about that. Thank you for all of you guys and your support over the last year, supporting this show, getting us to 50 episodes. We're very excited to make the next 50 of them even better.
2: I know, but Stephanie's going to have to bring her A game because you and I always look...
1: Good. Oh, okay. I just have to work on not rolling my eyes as often. That's so, right. Now everyone's going to see it.
2: I'm definitely going to, I'm
0: planning on bringing a sweat towel just for the f- top of my head in between questions or when and, I get nervous that you're going to fire me.
2: Both of you will actually have to like look like you're listening when I'm talking. <laughs>
0: That's so That's so true. It that's is, actually what's true. a little bit nervous about this live show with all these folks where
2: we got to be engaged. Yeah, because what really happens is they'll ask a question and then they check out and there's like this <laughs> communication while I'm talking to Touchdown well, because Jesus. Well, we're
1: trying to make sure that we make the best episode possible. Yeah, yeah we'll we're basically later. just texting we'll each other
2: the whole entire show. <laughs> Can you
0: sending emojis that? and a lot. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> well, hey, you ready to jump into some tough questions? Yeah, I, I can't
2: believe that you shared the cat story, though. Well, I thought that was between us.
1: Just so you guys know, the first time Justin re-listened to that story, he actually made himself gag listening to himself I had to go gagging, outside. So. I had to go
0: outside and, and and vomit in the parking lot. So that actually happened. All right, let's jump into some tough questions from the Bible. We got a couple off topic questions before we debrief your sermon. All right, this first question comes from Philippe or Felipe. Felipe. Yeah, let's go. I think it's Felipe. Okay, Felipe. Uh, This question came in from debrief.show. He says, what is the difference between a legalistic person and a righteous person? I'm often labeled as a legalistic person because I try hard to walk the straight line. It seems like when I try and live righteously, people not as strong in their faith see it as legalistic.
2: Yeah, so do you think that he means um, self-righteous? Is that what he's saying? Because he said, am I legalistic or righteous? He seems exactly. like maybe he means self-righteous, or like trying to
1: actually live right. I think. Oh, okay. And his okay. friends are calling him legalistic or self-righteous. Okay,
2: it? so well, I don't know him and I don't know his friends, but um, you know, uh, thank you. I thought that was funny too. <laughs> uh, that's why you get the uh, peach flavored Le Croix. <laughs> that's right. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't know his personal situation, but you know, legalism is this weird term that Christians like to throw out. Um, you know, against people for one of two reasons. A, Felipe is legalistic and he's a jerk and needs to cool off. Or two, his friends are backsliding and they don't wanna feel convicted about what they're doing. And so I don't know what the situation is, but that's the the one of the two ways that, you know, we talk about learning Christianese, that it's kind of thrown out. And so what I would say is God wants us to take uh, what the Bible says very seriously Mm -hmm. and not be legalistic, but you don't get to just pick and choose. Yeah, I'm gonna do this and not do that. And you need to make an effort um, to obey God's law. And so, what is the number one law? The Christian law is the law of love love God, love others. And so, we interpret everything else through that filter. Uh, so, how does God, uh, through the Old Testament and his teachings, want me to love him and love others through this teaching? Because if I'm wrong on that, I'm going to be wrong on everything else. And so, here's how um, I define the difference between being legalistic and being righteous. So, the legalist in me is keeping a list of all the ways that I'm an awesome husband to my wife. I took out the trash. I did the dishes. You know, I had a hard conversation with the kids. You know, I'm trying to be helpful, pick Mm -hmm. up things. And so the legalist is keeping track. I did all of these things. That proves I'm a good husband, so when she's going to complain, ba-bam, you whip out the list, right? (laughs) Okay, so the law of love is I'm not keeping a list. I'm simply doing those things because I love her. And so the legalist keeps a list where the lover of God is just, I, I want to serve God and do whatever it takes. And so we all have to be very, very careful because legalism is in all of us. Um, you know, and we're going to talk about that when we get into the nine types of personalities. And some of us gravitate to it more quickly, but all of us gravitate to it in some areas. Like, I mean, if you go on a diet, you judge everyone in the way they're eating. Oh, my gosh. You know, and you've been dieting for five <laughs> minutes. Um, and you just start judging everybody else and, oh, they're just not controlling a bunch of gluttons or whatever. Um, or you've been to the gym twice and you're like, well, I've always thought exercise is a part, of, you know, it's like, come on. Um, so you just, you got to watch it. I mean, the the Pharisee is in all of us, but it's a balance between, um, you know, I don't want to completely dismiss everything that the Bible commands me to do because some Christians do that. And, you know, some of your friends say, well, it's just about love. Well, okay, then the Bible's one sentence long. Yeah. Um, but. It's not just about love, there's some other things here, um, because love requires some things. Mm. Uh, like I love my wife, so I do some things. I love my kids, so I do some things. I love my church, so I do some things. Yeah. Um, love does, uh, which is uh, a favorite, uh, uh, one of my favorite books by my friend Bob, Go- Bob Goff, I would read that. I'm trying to get him to come to St. Church, by mm. the way, we'll so we need to put pressure on him. Yeah, so anyways, do you feel like I, I defined it? And just know that there's always a tension there. There's a tension between legalism and um, you know, want, truly wanting, if, you're, if the definition is to be righteous, truly wanting to follow God. I, I want to live. So the word righteous is live right before God. Yeah, I want to do that. And, and I want to do that. But I got to be careful that I don't fall in that trap.
0: Totally. Well, awesome. Well, we had a whole bunch more off-topic questions come in, but your sermon this week had so much good stuff. We're going to jump right into debriefing that.
1: Yeah. So before we jump into the whole list of core sins and personality types, you mentioned a verse from Lamentations, or your new v- name for that is oh, crap."
2: Yeah. Oh, crap. Holy, um, crap. Holy crap. Holy crap. holy crap. Holy crap. This is a church. Keep, yeah. it, keep Ooh, it PG. Excuse me.
1: <laughs> all right. So the verse was uh, Lamentations 340. It says, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. So I think we all tend to go through seasons of either being really close to God or maybe feeling far from him. Once we realize we've kind of are in that place where we feel like we've grown distant from God, what are some good first steps to take to start turning back to God like this verse says?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think the answer for everybody struggling with this is James chapter four, verse eight. Um, it's just, it's just this magical verse. And, and the reason I love James so much and I talk about James is you got to remember, it's, it's so important when you read James that you understand who he is. Mm -hmm. He's the little brother, the little half brother of Jesus. You want to talk about (laughs) lame, right? Um, (laughs) your older brother is Jesus, right? You know, why can't you be more like your brother, James? I mean, it just would be miserable. So James is trying to figure out his whole life. And, and I think he has a lot to say about, you know, can you imagine you have to go to your older brother? Okay. So you're God. Um, Sorry, bro. Love you. Um, and what he says is, he says uh, James four eight says uh, four seven is um, flee from the devil and he will flee from you or run from the devil and he will run from you four eight is draw close to God and he will draw close to you. And so the devil is something we run from. God is something we run to. And unfortunately, for many of us, that we do the exact opposite. So we start sinning. I screw up sexually. I get drunk. I do something embarrassing. I run from God and to the devil when what I need to do in those moments is run from the devil to God. And so um, it's just so, so, so important that if we wanna get our lives right, that we make an intentional act to draw close to God. Um, it's, he says, draw close to God, purify your hearts, O sinners, cleanse your hands and repent. Uh, and James talks a lot about in James four of not loving the world and the things of this world, because if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. And so you need to be really, really careful that you don't get caught up in that. And so I think any of us, when we, when we drift and unfortunately, then this is why you need to read Lamentations, because we talked about this, um, and I know this is graphic, but Israel, Israel's in a lot of trouble. Um, and that's why I encourage you guys to read your Bibles. The Bible's the most real book ever written. It doesn't hide anything. It talks about exactly what people uh, did. I'm super excited about our, our next series? Uh, you know, the relational survivalship guide or, or relationship guide, which we're, we're jumping into in the next series, which is a study of Genesis and all the broken relationships. You think your life screwed up? Regenesis because they got they're <laughs> they're way better at being stupid than you are, um, and it's how to survive those things. But um, you know, the people are uh, all the men are dead. The men of warring age, right? Um, so they and would. And this call, is in
0: Lamentations. In
2: L- Lamentations, they're all dead. So ev- every guy that can carry a shovel or a pick is dead. Mm-hmm. So if you're handicapped or you're too old or you're too young, you're living. Uh, all the women are starving, and uh, the pretty ones have been carried off. Um, and it's it's the ones that weren't found attractive or beautiful or, um, you know, I was going to say something. I'm not going to say it. See that filter? That was good. good. Job. Uh, good. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Can you teach um, me
0: that after the show? Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's a lot of work. So, uh, and the truth is I want to say it, but I'm not, uh, that's for cold gold later. Um, but, uh, you know, the women are left and they're, they're trying to take care of all these kids. And so what they start doing is they start eating kids because they're starving. And that's where the verse Jeremiah 29, 11, I hope I severely destroyed that verse in your mind. Uh, this one, God says for, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And that verse is important when your life's a disaster because that's when you need that verse. You know, that's not a wedding day verse. That's a divorce day verse. That's that's what it is. God has a different plan for you. It's not to destroy your life. Your life is destroyed either through your sin or the sin of someone else. That mm. that's that's what happens. And so, you know, God is calling us to to return. And so Lamentations let us examine ourselves is this. What is my part in this? Mm. What is my part? How, how how do I look at what I've done? And unfortunately, what sin makes us do is blame everybody else. It's everybody else's fault, it's not my fault, and we blame everybody else. And when you continue to do that, you never grow. Um, So I've gone through a lot of broken relationships, I've experienced a lot of sin, sin I've done myself, sin that's been committed against me, and I always try to examine myself. So the Lamentations, the author says, and we don't know who wrote it. Uh, Jewish tradition is Jeremiah, but the uh, book is not signed, so we don't know who the author is. Uh, So whoever wrote it, uh, Jeremiah or someone else is saying, "Hey." All of us need to look at ourselves and then we need to decide how we should repent. What what do I need to change? Because God, God is not distant from you. You are distant from God. So quit lying to yourself and say, I don't know where God is. God's right here. He's closer to you than you know. The person that's moved is you. So what do you need to do to move back? God is not in the business of being distant from us. He's in the business of being present with us. So Jesus promised, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. Even if heaven and earth pass away, so who moved? It's me, and that's where real with self. So people, someone asked, well, I don't understand why Samuel's vision is to be real with self first, because we're the problem. God isn't, right? In, in our relationships, it yeah. can be Stephanie, it can be me, it could be you, but in my relationship with God, it's never him, yeah. right? It's never him, which it's always, it always me, people, I'm mad at God, I'm like, that's unusual, because um, he's perfect, how are you? Um, and so we, we need to be real with ourselves. And so James, the half brother of Jesus, says, look, man, you just, gotta, you just gotta, he just goes after it. Just ask God to forgive you, draw as close as you can to him. Um, and so I wonder what that would be like for him when he realizes my brother is the Christ. Yeah. Remember in the, in the Bible, it says that he thought he was insane. Yeah. Like he came to prevent Jesus. He's like, you need to quit telling people you're the Messiah. It's getting out. People think you're weird, you know, come back. Let's run our construction business together like dad wanted. Mm -hmm. And let's just leave this whole Messiah talk to the crazy people. And then he realizes one day, oh, my gosh, probably after the resurrection, which is a little shocking. Mm -hmm. You're not dead, bro. Oh, um, and um, yeah, that would have been surprising. And, And actually, just so you know, James is one of the people that's called out in Corinthians, and it says the Lord appeared to him. Jesus personally appeared to his brother. Hey bro, a little freaky, yeah. yeah. I know I would want to appear to my brother Nathan if I was God. <laughs> Definitely. I'd <But> be like, see? <laughs> it's like t- the ultimate big brother, brother moment. Typical older brother.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Okay, so this weekend in your sermon, you talked about nine different pairings of struggles and strengths based on the different types of people we are, and we're going to get into specific questions on each of those nine types, but first we got a couple of questions. Well, actually a lot of people wrote in with questions trying to figure out which one of these people they might be.
1: Yeah, so Angie actually sent this question in. She's part of one of our online groups, so she sent this question in through our website at debrief.show, and she says, We were wondering where Pastor Matt got the nine types of struggles and strengths mentioned in the sermon this week. Is there any research behind them, and how do they connect with Scripture?
2: Yeah, so th- th- I'm being intentional by not telling you what the personality test is because what you're all going to do is you're going to run out and find it, and you're going to negate the process of you know, your church speaking into your life. So the personality test that we're using at Sandals Church to help you discover yourself is like all personality tests. It's flawed, okay? So I want you to think about the nine personality types like a kitchen knife. And this is the illustration I'm gonna use over and over and over again, because what's gonna happen is some of your Christian friends, God bless them, your little Pharisee friends, are gonna find out, and you have them, okay? You have them, and they call us scandals or whatever else. Um, Your little Pharisee friends are gonna find this out, and what they're gonna tell you is it's not biblical. Okay, listen. Think of this personality test that we're using in the class that you can go through. Think of it like a kitchen knife. A kitchen knife is either good or bad based upon what? Whose hands it's in. So this personality test, when it's used by God-fearing Christians who want to inform you how you can be more real with yourself and more real with God, it's a very, very good thing. But the reason I'm not saying it is because there's nut jobs out there that also use this personality test. And, and, and just, just to back myself up biblically, even Satan quotes Scripture. So Satan, right, Satan used Scripture to try to get Jesus to sin. Right. So you got to be very, very careful about saying something is good or not good. Oftentimes, it's, it's whose hands is it in. So this is a personality test that I discovered 20 years ago. And I used it for a while. Those of you who have been at Sandals for a long time, I used to call it Core Sins and we would go through it. But I never ever mentioned um, the personality test because I I didn't think it was safe and I wasn't ready to use it. But now I found some Christian pastors who've come up with some training. They're they're biblical, they're conservative Christians, they're similar to our faith, and they've really locked into this. And to me, this test is the most beneficial thing I've come across. I'm not saying it's the only thing. It's the most beneficial thing I've come across and I've looked, okay, it's been my vision to be real, for 25 years, it's the most beneficial thing that I've come across to help me be real with myself. And so this is what the test is. The test gives you permission to begin to identify strengths in your life and real struggles. And we're gonna talk about this as we go through the nine sins. You're gonna find that some people talked a lot about some, and go figure, some of the sins, like lust, nobody has. Go figure, right? Because, you know, none of us want to admit, you know, we're dirty or whatever else. And so we we need to be honest with that. But it it creates language for you to discuss in your marriage about where you're at and where you're struggling uh, in your own life and to look at yourself and say, okay, here's how God's wired me. And let me just say this, reality is not experienced the same by everybody. You know, we always talk about like on the news, you know, what, what are the facts? And we talk about facts like you know they're all the same for everybody and some facts are right you know two plus two is four but most facts are determined by the events that you encountered and the emotions that you felt yep. so for example when we get together at family time my mom and dad have their opinion of an event that took place my brother has an, an opinion of the same event that took place and i have a third of opinion of the same event that took place why because we're all looking at the same event same thing occurred but we're interpreting it through our emotions. How did we feel in that moment and what did it trigger in us? And then the event plus our emotions creates our reality. And so this is why simply, you know, point blank quoting scripture that has touched your life doesn't always help somebody else because they're looking at life from a different perspective. And I'll even tell you this, you know, I read through the Bible, I try to go through the Bible once or twice a year. And it's amazing to me how different a passage is to me. The passage hasn't changed, but I have. Hmm. I'm at a different place. And I'm like, how did I not? How did I miss that? Well, it's not any different, but I am. Yeah. And so I'm in a different emotional place in my life. I'm not tw- I'm in my 20s anymore. I'm not in my 30s. Now I'm in my 40s. Life is changing and I'm seeing more and more in Scripture. So, uh, so that's just what I would say. We're intentionally as a church not telling you what it is. Some of you guys are now even more dedicated to going and finding it <laughs> uh, because, you know, you're probably an eight and you need to be against everything and go your own way. And, and that's fine. Uh, we love you. Um, but you know, just let me tell you this, take the class and we're going to talk a lot about this. Don't just go decide for yourself what you are because you deceive yourself more than anyone, anyone else. And I guarantee you, many of you, when you, when you take the self test, you're going to test the way you wish you were. And you're not going to test the way that you are, yep. because if you're a glutton, you don't want to tell people that's who you are. And if you're a liar, you don't want to say that. And if it's, you know, um, what, what I, what have I mentioned?
0: Uh, anger. Were you following? I feel like I lost you. I was totally following. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, you just put me on the spot, testing all, all nine of
2: them.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, just pick your own. Yeah, I gonna go You're nine.
2: Lying. I yeah, should so probably it, could do them. I she's, probably could do them all she's trying to smooth it over. Yeah, it's okay,
1: guys. Don't no conflict. Yeah, yeah, okay.
2: So speaking okay.
1: speaking of
0: these nine different types, actually, a lot of people wrote in and asked, is it possible to have more than one of these or be more than one of these?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so. Um, Okay, every, every personality test you take is not going to perfectly identify you. The test that we've chosen, I think, is going to get you about 85% there. That's the goal, to try to figure out about 85% of who you are, which I think is pretty that, – that gets you on your way. But every single one of you is an individual. Nobody – I mean, there aren't nine types of people. There's billions of people, right. and we're all, we're all who we are based upon our personality, our genetic makeup, and our social upbringing. That's why you can have twins – You know, uh, identical twins raised in the same home, and and they're totally different. They share the same environment. They share the same biology, but they they have different experiences and emotions, and they may look the same, but they're very, very different. And so you need to know that you're a a one-of-a-kind creation by God. You share similarities, but we're not, you know, not all nines are the same. Not all eights are the same. Not all threes are the same. There's room for you to be unique in that. We're just simply trying to—these are your training wheels— for figuring out who you are, for beginning the conversation of, okay, uh, in my marriage, I'm gonna talk about where we are. Uh, In in my personal life, I'm gonna talk about where I am. I'm gonna begin to look at some of the blind spots in my life, and that's what this test helps you do, is helps you begin to see how other people perceive you that maybe you've missed. Like, for example, I joked on the weekend, I didn't know I was a close talker. I don't know how no one ever told me that. Like, no one. (laughs) Like no one ever told me, you know, like I have this to lean big away. social booger in my nose, you know, and nobody tells me, um, hey, you're way too close. You know, um, so I, I think I was like in my late 30s, man, and this psychologist that was visiting our church, she's like, you're a close talker and it's a little weird. So I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> thank you. And she doesn't go to our church, so.
1: Clearly you came into the bubble there. That's okay. So, um, Marcella sent in a question and says, will someone always struggle with just one course in, or is it possible for that sin to change into a different one over your lifetime?
2: So, it does a couple things. It changes and it adjusts. So, um, I'm a three. When I'm healthy, I act more like a nine. That's you. So, if you don't know Stephanie, she's fun to hang out with. Hardly ever gets mad at anybody. That's why I... I like hanging out with her when i'm when i uh struggle i tend to be a six which the core sin is fear and i'm super critical and anxious of everyone and don't trust and so that's kind of where i go um and and i've learned that through my process everybody has kind of you know we all have some of the nine um you know these sins right and, and we have some of these strengths so all of the strengths reflect the character of god and who he is his beauty is reflected in all nine and our brokenness is not reflected in all nine, and so it can change based upon, you know, our season of life. But let me tell you this: you know, I'm a three, um, and threes. When, when you read a three, a three is very, very image conscious. I, 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 I was talking with you in the back. I remember in like second grade, being aware of I need to dress cool, mm-hmm. like second grade. Okay, my brother, he, he. My mom could have put him to school in a cardboard box. I mean, he did not care. It didn't, and I thought he was weird. I'm like, people are watching what you're wearing, you know? He doesn't He doesn't care. You know, and some dudes at our church, their wives shop all over their clothes. My wife does not shop for me, man. I shop for me. That's the way that it is, you know? Because I, I want to be in charge of what's on me, and I've been that way, you know, since very, very early. And that's weird. I mean, it's very, very weird to me. You know, I remember being in the fourth grade and I'm like, I got to get a job, you know, because my parents are poor. (laughs) You know, I was like, this is, you know, my parents' finances cannot affect the kind of quality of clothing that I need to be wearing. So, (laughs) you know, I remember arguing with my mom, like, I got to go to work. And she's like, you know, you're 11. So... (laughs) Which also achiever, right? I got to get out. I got to make a difference in the world. I'm like, I'm running out of time. Mom, I'm 11.
0: (laughs) Okay. One last question uh, about this idea before we jump into the nine um, sins specifically here. Uh, So Kate wrote in on our Instagram at debrief show or at the debrief show. She says, is identifying our core struggle, something we should try to reflect on more introvertedly with God, or is it okay or better to ask
2: others to help us identify it? Yeah, absolutely. Others, 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 others. God did not make you to be alone. You're gonna hear about this in the, uh, the next couple of weeks we're real with God, but we're gonna get into real with others. And so um, please, please don't miss this weekend at church. If you go to St. Louis church, this is key. Most Christians have no idea who God is and how who he is reflects who he's called us to be. They have yeah. no idea. And it's, it's so tragic. Um, that we have neglected to teach people who God is, because there's a major or difference in the way that we see God and Jews see God and Muslims see God. So we all talk about the God of Abraham, but we see them very, very differently. And so the Christian God, as revealed, reveals a unique quality of who God is, and it's essential. And this is why so many Christians are like, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. It's because they don't know who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they they're practical Muslims. They, they call themselves Christians, but they are not truly Trinitarian Christians. They do not, they do not understand the relation, relational nature of God um, and why he's called us to operate in terms of relationship. And I kind of gave up what I'm talking about this week. So, but uh, be surprised <laughs> this week and be like, oh, that was good, that was so good. Um, so, so we should
0: focus on trying to identify yeah.
2: this with other so, people. So one of the huge passages for me is in Matthew seven, and I believe it's Luke six, those two gospels carry this story. And it's, Jesus says this, uh, instead of trying to take the speck out of your friend's eye, first take the log out of your own. So what is Jesus saying? We don't see ourselves, we don't see our flaws. So um, if you're a three, like I am, you're like, I don't struggle with lying. Guess who you're lying to? Yourself, you know? If you're a seven, you're like, I could give or take donuts, I don't care. You're Okay, you know, you're going from here to the donut shop. and. That's, that's who you are. And by the way, gluttony does not simply mean food. It's just experiences. You want to experience it all. You want to be there. You don't want to miss a party. You don't want to miss a thing. You got to be everywhere. I mean, life, you got, you got, you got to get everything out of life. And, um, what that means is you don't leave time for like real relationships, deep relationships. And oftentimes you become, you know, very, very isolated. So, um, I got lost.
0: you you were talking about the speck in the eye and how oh yeah yeah
2: so so yeah community (laughs) you need community and see right i got lost so (laughs) community brought me back you 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 need people in your life who gently say this why don't see you that way you know because everybody's going to want to be a six why is that fear is the least bad of all the sins in our eyes i mean who isn't afraid you know oh i'm afraid you know, and, and, and deep inside, you're, like, overwhelmed with lust every day. And what you're afraid is people are going to find out you have a porn addiction. That's what you're afraid of. And so you don't want to tell people. Yeah, I looked at porn once. It was terrible. You know, it's like, okay, you might be a three because you just lied to us. So,
0: Okay, let's jump into some of these specifically.
1: Yeah. So we put out some posts yesterday on Facebook and on Instagram, asking people to send in questions specific to their own area of struggle. Uh, So we're going to kind of walk through each of those. So the first one is anger, which you described, that's the good person. They want to be the good person, but they tend to struggle with anger when things aren't perfect and they need to focus on grace. So this question comes in from Janae and I'm excited to ask it because I think I can also tend in this direction. And she says, I'm still unsure the struggle of or why the struggle of the good person is anger. I wrote on my notes that the good person is easily offended by others, and I know that that's totally me. I have a hard time letting things go, and I often feel like everyone is out to get me or against me. Why is it that the good person is so easily offended?
2: Yeah, so she's confusing, and let's hope I communicated it correctly. The two is easily offended. So the one is angry at the imperfection of life. So why do you lose your mind on the freeway? Because it's not functioning perfectly. That's why you're angry. You're angry at the way people drive because nobody's doing it the right way. And so anger comes out. Uh, why, do you, why do you lose your temper at your three-year-old? They're three, you know? And you're like, why don't you act like an, because they're not an adult, they're three, and they spill their milk and they, and they do their things. And it's very, very frustrating, uh, you know, to raise them. And, and you're frustrated because you've told them how to do it right once and they don't do it. And so you lose your mind. Um, and so this this comes out when you've poured effort and you've taught people how to do it right. You expect everyone to do it right. And anger is the result. Anger is the result of life not being the way that it is. And so you become a perfectionist for yourself and others, and it's a really, really ugly thing. And you get super upset, and life gets super, super ugly. And so um, anger is the result of the world not being perfect. It's the need for things to be perfect. And when it's not your defense mechanism, uh, your self-protection mechanism, is to be angry. So, um, she may have blurred the one and the two, or I, when I was communicating, blurred the one and the two in a little bit, and they're very, very similar. Nice
0: humility there, huh?
2: Mm-hmm. Nice humility. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. So the the two is offended. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, the two is easily offended because their core is pride, but. Uh, you know, like I said, the one is the good person striving to get it right. And a lot of you are probably ones. That's why you're here. You know, well, hey, we have a weekly podcast where you can learn more about the Bible. You're like, well, I'm a good person. I got to do that. And I got to listen to that. And uh, so you're striving, which is a good thing. Don't stop. you not be like, I don't want to be a one. I'm going to stop listening to the debrief. Um, you know, so just know that there's, there's good qualities to that, Right ones want to make sure their home is healthy so there's a beautiful side to it they want a good family life they want a good marriage they want to have good friendships and good relationships and so those are the good qualities of the good person i mean who wants to be friends with the bad person right you know uh i mean you know then you're in jail with all your buddies it's like what happened so so there's some really really great qualities you know good people are dependable you can count on them they're going to get it done their word is their bond. There's beauty in that, and they reflect the character and image of God. Where it goes crazy is when their pursuit of goodness, which is a good thing, becomes the pursuit of perfection, which is impossible. And when you shoot for perfection, you're never satisfied, and you're angry at yourself, you're angry at others, you know, you're angry at your job, you're angry at your church, and you end up blaming everybody, you know, and you're you're not happy, and that's going to be a miserable, lonely life um, if you don't aren't careful with that. So again, the good person's good. There's a, there's a lot of great things. And that's why I want you to take the test because, um, it's not negative. Um, but like I met this guy, the the three people I met on uh, the weekend who said, yeah, I'm a one, they were all bodybuilder nutritionists, all (laughs) three of them. Right. It makes sense. I mean, they're going to eat right. They're going to exercise right. And they're going to judge everybody else, you know, much of fat people, you know, and they're just, they're just super critical of everyone else's lack of self-discipline and self-control. I mean, these people count their calories, right? They cut their chicken into like these little things, right? It's just like, wow. And, um, you know, it, it's amazing. So,
0: Okay, so let's talk about the type two person, the loving person. Course in or struggle of pride. Core strength can be humility. Lisa on Instagram said, I need humility and I have no clue what that even looks like.
2: Yeah, so the two the two is, um, a lot of times, women test on the twos, just like a lot of times guys will test eights. they say lust, like, oh, that's my core sin, and we'll talk about that, because um, I used to think, you know, I mean, I think most guys for a period of time in their life feel like lust is their core sin, and, and it was really unhelpful to me until I figured out that that wasn't my core issue, that it, w- it was lying and envy, and, and how those things manifested and created lust in my life, so we'll talk about that. Um, but the two person, I mean, these are great people. These are great moms, great dads. These are your best friends, okay? This is the positive side of it. Um, just like the good person is dependable. The helper man, what do you need? How can I help? How can I serve you? That's the best of them. They, they come around and they, and they want to help. And um, um, you know, my, my wife can be a two, so it's her second highest, I hope it's okay that I share that, um, and, and so that's the good news. If you're moving, my wife wants to help. She wants to paint your room. She wants to watch your kids. She wants to bring you meals. You know, my wife never forgets a staff person's birthday. She always, and that's the beauty of it. They're there for you. Um, th- you can also define it um, as the, uh, how did we define it? Is that What did I say?
0: The loving person. The loving
2: person can also be defined as the helpful person. Yep. So it depends on which test you're using. It's the loving person or the helpful person. They're very helpful and they're very loving and kind. Yeah. The, the ugly side of that is what they're doing is they're constantly creating a need to be needed. Yeah. So I'm going to help you. And you owe me because I did all of these things for you. And then I'm hurt and offended when you don't help me back. You don't love me back. And, and what it does is it exposes the motivation. So the positive side of the two is they're simply doing it to be Christ-like. And so if you don't know, you know how to be humble, Philippians 2 is for the two. Philippians 2 is for the two. Go there because Jesus emptied himself of everything. He, he, he didn't do it to gain things. He emptied it to gain you. And so it, it, it's, it's a completely interesting and amazing look at how a healthy two can live. So Philippians 2, and um, um, so that, that's where I would go. Christ, Philippians 2 says your attitude should be the same as Christ, who did not consider others, you know, uh, to be less than him but better than himself. And so that too should be your attitude. And so Paul talks about that. And so it's, it's getting to the place where you're serving because you just want to serve. Yeah. Not because people are going to go, ooh, you're so helpful or you're so awesome. And um, twos, by the way, if you're a mom, twos really, really struggle in their 40s when their kids leave home. They don't know who they are anymore. Their identity is completely wrapped up in being a mom. And so now, what happens? I don't know who I am. And why? I'm not needed. And so then they're in this really, really weird, weird place. And it can be for the man too. But that, and, and none of them are gender specific. But that just tends to be the way that it works out. And so, um, you know, they can become very, very codependent. So you got to be very, very careful uh, with that personality that your are loving and caring for people is motivated out of a genuine sense of, I want to love you. Not that you create a codependent relationship where you're married to an alcoholic or a drug addict, because that way there's, you are always needed. So that's, that's the most unhealthy version of that.
1: All right, so the three is the achieving person. You've identified yourself as this. Core sin is lying. Um, core strength would be truth. So you talked in this sermon about how the person we tend to lie to the most is ourselves. And you used the verse of Psalm one nineteen twenty nine. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. What are some ways that maybe we can start better noticing when we're lying to ourselves?
2: Yeah, so, so remember, all of these are in degrees. And so that's what you'll learn. Um, when, when you take the test with us, right? There's there's a healthy three and there's an unhealthy three. Mm-hmm. And so there's varying degrees of health. And so a lot of us, you think, well, I, I, I don't lie. I tell people the truth and, and so do I. But you know who I lie to all the time? It's myself. And here's what I learned about myself as a three is I am, I lie to myself about how I feel. And so this is the way it works as a pastor. So I need to be successful. I need to do the right thing. I need to achieve. And so when someone's like, I think sandals sucks, or your sermon's lame, or the beef's terrible, what I do is I act like that doesn't hurt. Well, guess what? My body's keeping emotional score. And so sooner or later, that's going to come out. And I was actually sitting in counseling with the guys that are um, actually coming to our church to do our training. And uh, I think it was Rich, the two guys, they wrote this great book. If you want to buy a great book, it's called The Relational Soul. Fantastic. These guys wrote this book. And I think Rich looks at me, He's like, he's like, you're really disconnected from how you feel. And so that's what threes do. So threes can become passive aggressive. Threes are prone to exaggeration because we need attention. We need people to see us. And so we tell a fib or we tell a story or we're over the top, right? So threes are really good with people, good with relationships, very, very social. Um, But instead of saying, you know what, I I really feel disconnected from you guys. I don't feel loved or appreciated. We put on a show or we... we we create this persona that, or this Facebook or Instagram thing that everything's okay. And the truth is we're not okay. And so for me, you know, um, I'm not going to lie to you, but I've learned I have to do this. So like, remember when I was doing the Ironman training, Yeah. people would ask me, how many miles did you run today? Because I'm a three, I would say 11.2 miles, 10.4 miles, because I know in my heart, I want to exaggerate. And I just found it to be this stupid part of my life. And so I would be specific about, because I needed to be clear. This is, you know, this is how, how many people there. That's why I don't exaggerate about how many people are at our church. I always ask you guys, and I don't count, you know. Um, don't ever let the preacher count how many people are there. You know, it's 10,000. Um, you know, Jesus multiplied food, and pastors multiply congregation size. So that's just the way it goes. Um, but I've learned I have to be specifically accurate. And so, where the deceit manifests in me is being clear with my wife about how I'm feeling um, and not minimizing it. So, the way I achieve is I try to act like I'm okay all the time. And guess what? Nobody's okay all the time. And uh, I have a daughter who nailed me this week at family share time. She says, You said fine. And that sounds and feels manipulative. I'm like, eh, A little pastor's kid, you know? <clears throat> so, a little therapist in the home. But um, you know, a, an unhealthy three, and, and I've worked with unhealthy threes, um, man, they can get pretty dysfunctional where they lie about everything and they don't even have to. Some of you have friends that are this way. I mean, how do you know when they're lying when they're talking? And it's just really, really heartbreaking to be in relationship with a super unhealthy three because they just lie all the time and it's, and it's super sad. And threes, guess what they like to be? Politicians, go figure, <laughs> right? They're great at getting elected, but once we get, they get in there, we're all hosed. So um, just, just know they're great talkers, they're not great doers. And so, um, but threes are, are good with people, good with relationships, they're sensitive, they, they, they care. And like I said, there, there's good sides to it. I, you just have to really, really pursue truth. And um, here's the thing about threes is, they tend to identify and, and all the other personality types identify with them. That's why a lot of you guys are here. Threes make great pastors because they can communicate in such a way that the one, two, three, one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine are like, oh, yeah, They're, the threes are the most relatable. That's one of their most positive qualities. So a lot of our staff are, are threes. So
0: Yeah, I'm supposed to ask you a question about fours and fives right now, but I'm a three and I'm emotionally processing the conviction. Are you lying about that? <laughs> well, no, I am lying to myself about my feelings <laughs> that
2: are of the circumstances of my life this week. So you're a three, four. Yeah. So we're the same. So we lie to each other.
0: <laughs> yes
2: y- You pretty much always tell
0: me the truth about myself. So.
1: You're really good at seeing his uh, weaknesses. So You're so setting. good at that,
0: to be honest <laughs> with you. It's awful. Um, <laughs> awful in a good way, I guess. Okay, so f- let me do four and five here. Envy the original person with the strength of peace. Five. greed the observant person with a strength of generosity. Can you help us understand the difference between envy and greed? Because I think at first glance, it might seem like they're the same.
2: Yeah. So greed, if you're a five, it's the pursuit of things simply for you. So you're not looking at everybody else. You're looking at it. So whatever it is, more women, more men, more money, more cars, more success. You are not focused on anyone else except the prize. That's greed. I want that. Envy is looking at someone else and saying, I wish I had what they have. So envy is people-focused, whereas greed is object-focused. I, I, I want that. I have to have that. I have to have all of that. Um, and so um, you know, greed, the core sin of greed is the desire to possess. And actually, uh, when, you, when you take the, this test, these are our, our brilliant people, our smart people. Um, they're, they're professors. They're engineers. Knowledge is power, right? We hear that yeah. said, and, and, and they want to know it so they can own it. And um, you know, when you look at uh Genesis chapter three, Satan lures Adam and Eve with greed. Once you have it, you will know the knowledge of good and evil. So so you're going you're going to control knowledge like God does, so they have to have it. I have to have that. Um and and they reach for it. And you know, um, you know, greed is an insatiable appetite for all kinds of things. And like I said, you can be poor and be greedy. Um, you know, you can collect worthless things. Yeah, I, I gotta have all of these meaningless Beanie uh, Babies. Beanie babies. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Some of <laughs> you are old enough you'd like to, to remember confess, that. Justin? Um, I'm not confessing. And now you can pick them up at the thrift store. So um, <laughs> but um, yeah I, I gotta collect beanie babies. I gotta have these things. And so the sin of greed puts um, an emphasis on things. Things are important people are not. I want to pursue knowledge. I want to pursue Uh, education. I want to pursue wealth. I want to pursue cars. Like I want all this stuff. It is the the, the sin of greed is stuff focused. Whereas the sin of envy is, I don't know why it's right that she gets that and I don't. I don't know why he's there and I'm not. And so I'm a three, four, which means I lie and I'm envious. And so um, what the four does is it makes you never satisfied with where you are. And so, you know, people will say this, well, you know, don't you feel incredibly successful? I say, no. And it's because I'm a four, because I'm looking at the person that's done more than me. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. Yeah. And, and what it does is it robs your joy. That's Envy is the thief of joy. And so um, if you're a four, um, get off Instagram, get off Facebook. That stuff is a recipe for just just intellectual and emotional torture for you. Because what you're looking at is, oh my gosh, look at all these other people who, by the way, are faking it. That's what they're all doing, you know. I'll beat my kids so we can take an Instagram photo, you know. Everybody smile or you're all dead, you know. And um, you know, having a great day at Disneyland, and we left five minutes later because my kids are selfish and they don't appreciate whatever, you know. And I gave some speech, uh, but all you saw is the photo of our amazing trip wherever, um, and um, you know, it just it just does bad things to people. And I remember a couple years ago. Sandals hit 10,000 for the first time on Easter weekend and I was so thrilled. And so I got on, I got on, I can't remember if it was Instagram or Twitter to post it. And right when I did, I was following this pastor and it said 30,000 and I was just like, ah, why bother? You know, and you know what's so sad is, you know, when Tammy and I had three and four people coming to Sandals Church, if you would have came up and gave me a hug and said one day 10,000 people are gonna hear about this vision to be real, I would have cried. And it would, it would I would have said, it's all worth it. And in that moment, of this extremely successful moment. It was totally stolen from me because I was envious of somebody else. And so um, don't let you know some other mom's perfect picture or whatever steal the joy of your family. And everybody. just know their life sucks too. It does, I mean, <laughs> it does, right? Every, everybody goes through crap. Nobody's marriage is perfect. And you know what this, the research is showing? All those people who are on these social media sites, their lives are worse. That's why they're posting all this stuff. And the information is coming out. And it's not good. So, um, you know, just, just know that. And so envy is constantly comparing yourself to others. Greed is focused on things or knowledge. So it's, it's one's pr- more person-oriented and one is more object-oriented. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah.
0: Well, I did feel like you were poking at me personally a little bit. Mm, that's okay. Which, with fun. Well, just when you're talking about indie? faking it and being unreal and all these uh, other things. <laughs> you guys compare yourse- can compare yourself to my life on Instagram at PRD. Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> okay. You
0: should ask a question about another sin right yeah, now. Yeah, we're
1: going to move on. Let's we'll move past that. All right, so six is the loyal person who is going to tend to struggle with fear, but their strength is courage. And Lindsay sent in what I think is just an incredible question on our Instagram. And she said, I feel felt like I had multiple of these as well, but it all comes down to fear. I'm afraid I won't be liked, so I don't put myself in social situations. I'm afraid of failure, so I don't do things I want to do. I'm afraid of letting go of something I'll need, so I'm greedy. I'm afraid of being let down, so I try not to depend on others. I'm afraid of being hurt, so I don't trust. I understand that I need to practice courage in these areas. Is, but the fear runs so deep in every area of my life, I don't know where to start.
2: Wow. That, that's amazing, and I appreciate your authenticity for ever sent that question in. Lindsay. Uh, Lindsey, thank you. Um, so let me just say this. We, we all have fear. Um, I think most people are going to pick fear because they're afraid to pick what they really are. So just, just know that, um, right? Because no, nobody's going to feel weird next to you in small group if your course in is fear, but if you're a dude and you're like, it's lust. <laughs> you know, just I, just, I just well. really struggle with lust, Stephanie. To, right? I got you I know, go. Sorry. Trying to get over there next to touchdown Jesus, <laughs> but um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be careful. Um, and look, we, we need to have we need to have a safe place for this because, ladies, it's not just guys that struggle with lust. I mean, it's it's a real real issue. And yeah. so, um, so. The issue of fear is, it's just debilitating. My wife's a six. I was actually surprised. I thought she was a two um, when we took the test together. And um, she's a true six. She's like, I'm afraid I took the test wrong. I'm like, okay, you're a six. Um, And and actually, you know what our counselor said is threes and sixes are attracted to each other. um, And then have rough marriages. So uh, that's what they told us, you know. um, Because you know, my achievements provide stability for her and, you know, her need for stability provides, you know, something for me to deceive myself that I'm, li- and it's just this whole weird thing. But, um, um, you know, the six is just constantly overwhelmed with the, the need to be safe. And so what happens is, is oftentimes they push away the very things they need because they're afraid. So the sixes aren't in small group, sixes aren't, you know, making friends the sixes are isolated. They're terrified of being rejected and they're overwhelmed by fear. And, you know, the way that God, if you're a six, is calling you is to press into relationship, to take courage and be in relationship. And yeah, you got hurt. Welcome. We all do. There, there's nobody that's been hurt more at Sandals Church than me. I mean, we can sit down and trade blows and I'll talk to you about stuff, you know, that's happened to me. And I still love Sandals Church and I'm still a part and I'm still hanging in there because I trust God and I believe that. Um, That There's something better for me in community. And so the six has to take courage and has to pursue courage, and it's not easy. But uh, sixes do incredible things. So um, I just appreciate – it was Lindsay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just appreciate Lindsay's authenticity, and it is debilitating, and it is overwhelming. And so a six actually, when you look at some of the tests, anxiety is the core – And so um, a lot of you that battle anxiety and and you're you're freaking out and you don't know why, you're a six. And if you're not careful, it will swallow your life. So the key for overcoming that, uh, John says, um, we've talked a lot about James, but John says this, that perfect love casts out all fear. So you have to take courage and trust that God loves you. Uh, Trust that God cares for you. Trust that God has the best for you. And there have been periods of time in my life where I was overwhelmed with fear. I, I used to not fly. I was terrified of flying. And, um, and the way, the way that, that God healed me of that was actually a pilot in our church that just started taking me flying, and we went flying together. And his love for me helped me overcome my fear of flying, and now I fly all over the world. And so um, just know that you can overcome that, and God has great things for you. But it's debilitating, and fear lies. It always lies, um, which is why God's love—what does it cast out? Your fear. And so, remember, we talked about this week in church, 365 times in the Bible. It says, "Do not be afraid," um, because fear is debilitating in terms of relationship with Him, and we feel unworthy with God. And and again, if your course in is six, you have to constantly tell yourself, "I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful." Uh, If you're a two, you're broken, you're broken, you're broken. So,
0: yeah. Okay, so number seven is the joyful person who struggles with gluttony and they have the strength of self-control. I thought this was super interesting. Not a single person identified as struggling with gluttony. I think maybe that's because most of us, you know, we identify it with things like obesity or or something like that. But as I understand it, it's not just like this. And you touched on it a little bit. I almost think of the gluttony type 7 as somebody who's got FOMO, right? The fear of missing out on
2: everything. Yeah, that was good. FOMO. I have not heard of that. Oh, FOMO? Uh-uh. No. It's yeah. a phrase, dude.
1: It's a, it's a thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use that in a text. That was good. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> can you yeah. help, us help us understand? Gluttony? Yeah, no,
2: it, it, has, it has nothing to do with food unless it has to do with food. Right. And so, um, you know, you can be overweight and your course isn't gluttony. It's fear. It can be pride. And that's what I'm saying. you, you got to uncover this because I struggle with lust, but it's not my core. Um, My core was I lie to myself, and I'm not being honest with how I'm feeling, and when I was a kid, pornography was the drug of choice that I went to to cope uh, and self-soothe. So for some of us, right, when you're a kid, it was a cookie. Gluttony's not your sin. It's some other emotional bankruptcy in your life, and for whatever reason, food is the coping mechanism that you've used to heal but you're not a glutton. You're just trying to be okay. So you, you got. You really, really got to understand that. Um, and so for a lot of guys, the secret to overcoming lust is understanding what's at the root of it. What's causing you to run to porn? What's causing you to run to sex outside? You know, a monogamous heterosexual marriage. What's causing you? And and usually, what it is, it's a deep, deep drive for intimacy. So the same thing with gluttony is. Uh, gluttony is this insatiable appetite for all things. And these people are fun. They're joyful. They're the life of the party. Um, you got to be careful because they can be impulsive and they can, get the, they can get themselves in situations because people are attracted to you. They're attracted to, right? You're the center of everything. And, and, and people, you know, sevens are fun, right? If you don't have a seven at your party, it's lame. So, so you know, you got to be like, right, who's a seven? We got to have them because if it's a bunch of fives, you know, we're all like staring at each other, you know? Wow, this was great. So um, and then if there's a three, we're gonna lie to you. Yeah, this is an awesome party. I'm never coming back. So
0: I think I think I've seen a lot of young adults and college students at Samuel's church who would maybe would self-identify as, as number six, but in reality, they're really a number seven. They're the fear of missing out on everything. They they have to have been at the right party, they've got to go see all the new cool things or have heard the newest records and those kinds of things. How how could I Help identify if I if I'm really a seven and I might not be sure of that.
2: Yeah, the seven is has a fear of being left out. So I, I'm being left out, I'm not invited, I've been excluded. Um, and so so how does how does gluttony affect the core of who you are? It says I am not important because I wasn't invited, or I am not important because I was ignored, or I'm not important because I wasn't included. And so that's the way that the seven operates. And so the seven the reason they have to pursue self-control is because if there's a dessert, I have to have it because Stephanie's eating in and Justin, you know, is eating in and I, I, I've, I you know, I've got to be a part of that and I'm going to taste it and if people drink it, I'm going to drink it and if they're doing this, I'm going to do that and I'm going to be in the center of everything because I want to experience it all and, um, you know, food is just a part of that and actually when you look at gluttony in the Bible, the sin is always mentioned with, you know, drunkenness. Oh. They're always together. So I grew up Baptist. It's interesting to me that they would preach against right, drunkenness, but, you know, we're all a bunch of huge people at a potluck. And it's <laughs> like, wait a minute, you know, the verse. And so really what the Bible is talking about when it talks about gluttony and drunkenness, it's actually the things that took place. Right. It's I, I'm going to, whatever it is, I'm going to partake of it. If it's an orgy, I'm going to be a part of that. If it's worshiping an idol, I'm going to do that. If it's drugs, I'm going to do that. Whatever it is, I'm gonna do that because I need to experience that all. And so self-control is, I'm gonna trust that God has the best for me and He's gonna bless me and He's gonna meet my needs and what He has for me is the best experience there is. So C.S. Lewis says it this way, the glutton settles for the lowest pleasures of life. We all settle for the lowest set of pleasures. And so, so how is it that Jesus Christ never had sex? How, how is it that He never participated in, you know, what most of us would consider the most powerful expression of love between two human beings. How is it that Jesus didn't feel like he was missing out on something? Because he was attaining higher levels of pleasure that we we have not experienced and we don't understand. And so Jesus was able to pursue that. So think about what Satan tempted him on. You know, you're hungry, Jesus, you haven't eaten for 40 days. What what does Satan tempt him with? Food. Mm -hmm. Tell this stone to turn to bread. What does Jesus say? He's pointing to a higher pleasure. It is written, man shall not live by what? Bread alone. Man shall not live by sex alone. Man shall not live by drugs alone, wine alone. In to- See, all these things, that, that, that is not the greatest joy. And that, we've done such a poor job as Christians pointing people to the greater good and the greater joy. Um, God is the inventor of pleasure. Satan twists it and turns it into a pain, right? God creates sex. Satan twists that, and, and, and it's supposed to bring life. And now what happens? You have sex, and you can die so the very thing that's supposed to give life now right. kills us. Right. Um, same thing with wine, right? Wine is a good thing. The Bible says that wine is God's way of saying, I love you. But when you use it in excess, what is it? It's dark. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, there's a higher level of spirituality. Isn't it interesting that they used to call uh, places that sold alcohol, they sold wine and spirits? Isn't that interesting? We don't we don't talk about that anymore. We've we've lost a lot of, really what alcohol is. It's it's a it's a pursuit of, of of some kind of experience, and that's what God wants for you. But it's a better experience. It's a higher experience. And so, so again, the seven is afraid is, is afraid of missing out, and so it needs to experience everything. It needs to be included, and and it could really twist you and make you really dark. So you got to be careful. But the same token, the good side of it is these are our best friends. They're the life of the party. They bring us joy, right? They, they make us feel better. Um, man, you want some sevens on the worship team, right? You, you, you want these people in church. Otherwise, you're you're bored out of your mind, man. You know, I mean, like if your church has no sevens, we're all like, oh my gosh, get this <laughs> over with. Um, okay. Yep. All right.
1: All right. So. The next one is number eight, the powerful person. And you touched on this a little bit before, but Was there anything else you want to say? This person tends to struggle with less. And you said that often that's not what the actual struggle is when someone says, you know, I'm, I, I'm a guy, I struggle with less. That's the thing. Uh, you said it's usually not the case. How do you kind of help people identify when it really is their struggle, when less really is the course in, and when they're maybe using that to mask something else?
2: Yeah, so I, I actually was wrong this weekend. I said this, that the eight needs to be in control. It's called the controlling person or the powerful person. Actually, what the eight needs is to be against so eight eight people are very against things. So our current president, Donald Trump, is clearly an eight. He is against everything. He needs to be against it. And I'm not putting him down. I mean, he's a powerful person. And I, the eights gravitate to leadership, and they make changes. And there's, there's a great aspect to who they are. Um, but clearly, lust has gotten the best of Donald Trump at certain points in his life, right? It's, it's manifested itself in broken marriages. It's manifested itself in comments about how he treats women as a, a women as a famous person, and he's had to apologize for that and say, I'm sorry. So the, the best of a powerful person is, um, they're, they're, they have clear leadership gifts, they're a strong person, they're an assertive person, they know what they want, they're not easily swayed by others. That's the beauty. You're, you're not going to manipulate an eight. That's not gonna happen. You know, an eight do- isn't, isn't tossed by, you know, whatever the current is. The eight has an internal compass, they know who they are and they know what they wanna do. And these people are attractive, right? We're drawn to them because we admire the fact that, you know, they don't really care what everyone else thinks. You know, they're not, they're not worried about, well, popular opinion is they have their idea and, and they know what they wanna do and they're gonna make a difference in the world and they build organizations and, and they lead things and, and they know who they are. The problem is, um, you know, this need to be against and this need for power often can lure them into a very, very dangerous place. And so, you know, lust is the sexual manifestation, manifestation of the desire for power in our things. So you can have a lust for power, a lust for sex, a lust for control. And what it is, is it's the desire for things that aren't yours. Mm. It can have a sexual tone to it, but it's not always that. It can lead you down to a dark road. And really it's the sin of coveting. You know, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's um, I was going to say car. That's all. <laughs> Exodus does not say car. You know, your neighbor's ox, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife. That's what it means. Not longing for things that are not yours. Um, and Paul, actually, the apostle Paul, I think is innate. He doesn't, so to use a pause, he doesn't care what everybody else thinks. He's going to do what he believes is right. And so when he thought it was right to kill the Christians, he has a lust to control them and he kills them. But then when he meets Christ. He has this insatiable appetite to do what's right in God's eyes. He doesn't care what all of his people think. He's Mm. like, I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to do it right. But he talks about in Romans how the sin of coveting taught him everything he needed to know about himself. And so his lust for control and power, you know what it led him to do? Kill Christians, which is why he says, I'm the worst sinner of them all. And so eights are incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, and God uses them to change the world. But their power can be used for God's greatness or their own demise. And so if you're an eight, um, you know, we probably don't have a lot of eights at Sandals because they're off doing their own thing. Um, But if you're an eight and you're at Sandals, we need you. We need you to be strong, but we need you to not always be against us. And just know something in you wants to say no all the time. And you got to figure out, you know, is that because I actually believe no or is it just because I I, I need to be against? And, And their deepest fear is being controlled. That's what an eight worries about because an eight is a leader and leaders don't like to be controlled, but you know, eights can be a little clueless, you know, with how they relate to people because they're so powerful. They're so uh, strong. They run over people like a bull in a China shop, you know, um, eights run strong in my family. My family has a lot of eights Um, very, very strong and, and they just run over people. So just know God has created you to do great things Uh, But to quote Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) I think technically you're quoting his uncle. (laughs) That is true. He's right.
1: All right. So now this last one is the nine, which tends to be mine. the peaceful person uh, who can tend to struggle with laziness, and their strength is faith. And I love this question that Sarah sent in. She says, when you described laziness, that one was all me, especially when you said that group of people would rather pretend it didn't happen than work it out. How do I learn to talk things out instead of avoid hard conversations?
2: Yeah, so one of the things is um, if you're a nine, you need to be in community and you need to be in community with people that challenge you. Um, So that's you're in our our relationship. I challenge you to, to, you know, step up, talk about when you and I first started working together. I'm like, you have to express how you feel. You have to say what you think. You have an opinion. And here's the thing. If you're a nine, people actually really care about what you think. Because nines, nines don't jump out with their opinions all the time, but actually what you have to say is very, very wise. Yeah, I mean. uh, Pastor Dan Crowley, nine. So he's a great, great guy. Uh, Stephanie, nine. Uh, nines, nines are just peaceful people, man. Um, you know, if you're married to a nine, probably not going to have a lot a lot of conflict, and that's just because they're not telling you. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> it's not that it's not there. They're just like, nah, it's not worth it, you know? Um, so they have a need to avoid pain. So, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of nines at the gym, lifting weights, you know, that, that's pain, right, it hurts. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that, I did it once and I was sore. So, uh, they go the other way. Uh, nines are great, you, you, want, you want all of these personality types in your small group, uh, but the nines are never gonna confront, so don't, don't pray for a nine to confront, you know, just challenge them, how do you feel? But nines are peaceful people, they, they want to seek consensus, they want everybody to get along. So Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." You're a peacemaker. So these these individuals are blessed. They're like Jesus in many many ways. Um, they're good people. They they want to work it out. So they, what you do is you bridge the gap between you know a three and an eight that are battling for control of your community group, right? And so you know everybody likes the three, but knows the eight's right. And so there's this big tension, you know, in the room. Uh, and so the nines like, can't we all get along? And just know that they're going to avoid um, some of the hard conversations, and you really, really gotta press. And so with a nine, you gotta make it as as, as little, or make the the conflict as least painful as possible. So if you're uh, married to a nine, which I think someone in here is going to be married to you soon, they have to make a very, very safe environment for you to express how you feel. Um, So, yeah. Keep that in mind, Tyler. Yeah. (laughs) All right, here is our very last
0: question. And honestly, this came from, first one came from Crystal, as it's technically worded, but a lot of people asked Mm -hmm. pretty much the same exact question. Now that we've identified our core struggle, what is the next step? How do we move from our struggle to our strength?
2: Right, so hold off on the fact that you by yourself have identified your core sin, Mm. uh, because many of you are wrong. Let's just state (laughs) that. I love you. So what you did is you self selected the sin that you were most willing to be real about. That's what you picked, right? Okay, and let's be honest, because what if you're a woman and you're like, it's lust, I am never telling a person in the world, right? You know, because, I mean, we talked about how awkward it is for a guy to say his core sin is lust. What if you're a girl, and you're like, it's lust, all the guys are like. <laughs> right, <laughs> suddenly everyone's uncomfortable, this is awkward. You know, thank you, Jenny. I appreciate your authenticity. Um, it's, really, it's really, really hard. I remember a couple years ago, we went to a, uh, a recovery conference and it was, it was the last session before lunch, which what that means is nobody's staying. And he says, before lunch, we have a young lady who's gonna share about her sex addiction. Not one dude left. Everyone's like, I wanna hear this. Right, it was bizarre, man. It was like 3,000 people. And like, nope, I can wait for food I can wait. I want to hear my fellow sisters struggle. So, so just, so just know, you're probably gonna to lie to yourself, and I can't. I, I want to be honest. It's really, really hard for me to tell you that I, I struggle being honest. It is, it is brutal. It's absolutely brutal, you know, for me to share that because I want you to trust me. I'm a three. I want you all to trust me. So I have to be very, very open and honest about that and the fact that, you know, envy. I don't like either of those. I think they're both very, very ugly. But that's not all of me. That's the worst of who I am if I'm unhealthy. The beauty in me is that I'm truthful and I I have peace. I'm a a peaceful person and and I'm pursuing that. And actually, if you're a three when you're healthy, you're more like a nine. That's 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 what you'll discover, and so at my best, I'm not only more like Jesus, but more like Stephanie. So mm-hmm. that's as good as I <laughs> can be. be. Nice. So um, so okay. So next steps: when when we have the class, take the class because not only will you take the test, but we're actually going to have some professional people who have been trained to read your results. And I cannot tell you how awesome that is, and convicting it is uh, to look at. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. It's really really helpful, and then get in community group because all the test is gonna reveal is how you see yourself. So what if you're wrong? It's gonna begin that process. Get in community, um, because you can get community group, you're like, I have never lied, and everyone in your group's like... (laughs) Right, all the nines are like, this is awkward, you know? (laughs) Where's an eight when you need it, you know, so.
0: Yeah, I think you're dead right on that last one. Even for me, as I have gone through this really painful struggle, I mean, it's been nearly 10 years since I feel like I've self-identified as a three, And had other people say yes, definitely. Um, But sitting through just like extended relationships with people who over time have heard me share things or continue to love me and continue to remind me that God loves me has helped me to become more and more vulnerable over time and and really learn how to deal with and, and trust that God truly loves me and I don't have to pretend like I'm enough because I am for God. So I feel like I learned pretty much all that through those extended relationships. So I think you're totally right.
2: Yeah, and I mean, just as a three, I mean, you've been at Sandals, I don't know, what, how many years? 18?
0: Yep, something like that.
2: 18, 19 years. It's actually
0: 17, but you said 18, and I wanted to round up because it made me sound better. <laughs> it's 17. Thank wow.
2: Thank you for pursuing truth. But over the <laughs> years, over the years, you and I have had some pretty ugly conversations. Yeah. But it's, I think it's proved worthwhile. Well, it's I,
0: ironic because you told me that I was struggling with these things, and I said, no, I struggle with fear. And then you're like, most people say fear is... <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, because it's easy, you know. Yeah, I'm afraid of being awesome, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, much have you ever I been said. in a
2: group where you're like? So it's like when you hire somebody. What's your weakness? I work too hard.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Man, that was awesome.
0: Uh, and we just did a live show, you guys. That was.
1: We did it. We super.
0: You guys were great. <laughs> super awesome. Seriously, I. I don't we've never done a show. We've had like two people sitting in the corner one time and that was weird and now there's three hundred people <laughs> just, staring walking. at us. Some girl appears breathing, I could hear her, and I was like This is weird. <laughs> no I can't even see maybe it's a man yeah. and you're skinny <laughs> we got to go back to just no people in the room for a while. (laughs) You guys can join us uh, uh, via video when that comes. Man, Pastor Matt, you shared a bunch of great stuff today. You talked about that book, The Relational Soul. Soul. Mm -hmm. So you can find links to that online in our show notes at debrief.show slash 50, which is awesome.
1: That's right, and yeah. So you can also now follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the at Debrief Show, and also keep an eye out. We are going to be on YouTube when we go to videos starting next week. So keep an eye on our Facebook and our Twitter and our Instagram. We'll tell you how to get that video as soon as it is out.
0: Totally. Yeah. <laughs> we're, seriously, so excited. Thank you guys for your support of the show. That is what's making it possible for us to launch this new studio. People have been generous towards Sandals Church, and even th- uh, because of the debrief, so excited to take the show to the next level. It's been so great. Mm-hmm. If you want to help support Sandals Church and the work that God's doing here, this vision of being real, including what we're doing here on the debrief, we would be so grateful for that. We've tried to make it as easy as possible. All you've got to do is text GIVE DEBRIEF to 951-900-4120. GIVE DEBRIEF to 951 900 one 900 Even if you could donate a couple of bucks for the episode, we would be really grateful and it will help us continue to move forward. Now, Stephanie, Pastor Matt said something in the middle of this, and I he think did. we should get some questions on that. Are you uh, you up for helping us learning some Christianese? Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so.
1: That was fun. So, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly, Justin. Did you say it's time for learning some Christianese? Yeah. Learning Christianese, I think
0: I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. That 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 song was written by an eight. You guys' live shows are the best.
1: I know. This is fun. So, Pastor Matt, what do Christians mean when they say unpack? Like, could you unpack that verse? Could you unpack what this means? (laughs) What do Christians, or Pastor Matt, what do you mean when you say unpack?
2: Yeah, what I really think it means is we don't agree with what you said. (laughs) Can can you give us a more biblical explanation for what you just said? What it means is go deeper, unpack, pull things out, quote the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, Mm. whatever it is, so... Uh, I think it's a nerdy person trying to look smart. The Debrief Show, unpacking it
0: every week since 2016. (laughs) Nice. There it is. There it is. Go for it. Yes, 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 yes. Man, listen, you guys, you guys were awesome tonight. Thank you so much for coming. Let's give them all another
2: round of applause.